You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the mind-boggling case of Chris Kremers and Leanne Froome. Welcome back. Long time no see. Uh, happy summer vacation. If you don't have kids, is this basically just like how life is for you? <laughs> Every day is summer vacation. Uh, if you do have kids, how are you holding up? Blink twice if you need some help. <laughs> summer really has this way of making me um, just super appreciate teachers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, thank goodness for teachers. Am I right? Uh, I mean, I don't want to spend the whole day with these humans that I created. Are you kidding me? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I love these little guys. And since I know it's not forever, they are going to go back to school in the fall. It does make summer all the more special, but it's a lot. They talk a lot. Almost too much. It's unceasing the amount that they like to talk to me. <laughs> um, okay, so let's address the elephant in the room. I know to some of you, it may appear that I was out of office for four weeks. But to the contrary, my dears, my dears, my dears, I have actually never been more in the office in my life. Uh, for the last four weeks, I have been in Amsterdam and the Netherlands region researching, writing, and visiting some of the most infamous Dutch cold cases and spooky places of all time. And now that I'm back, I cannot be more excited to tell you all about what I learned. Um, for our first case today, we are going to be discussing the infamous case of Chris Kremers and Leanne Froon. And if you're not familiar with them, seriously, have you been living under a rock? Because I feel like everybody knows about them. But if you don't know who they are, don't you worry your little head because I am going to lay everything out for you just as I always do. So that way you can know what we're talking about and you're not going to embarrass me at parties anymore because seriously, that's embarrassing. I, I thought I taught you better than this, okay? Uh, before we get into all of that, let's do some minor housekeeping. I am going to keep it easy on you today just because I know it's been a little bit and it can be hard to just kind of deep dive into minor housekeeping. Um, if you didn't know about my little four-week quote-unquote sabbatical, then you clearly are not following me on Instagram at Mystery Sloan Solved, my friend, because if you were, you would have known where I was and what the heck I was up to. Uh, but that's okay. Today is a new day. So follow me right now, right this second, so that you're going to know for next time, okay? Um, if Instagram isn't your thing, and that's totes cool, uh, visit my website. There you can binge all of my episodes. You can shop for merchandise. Currently, I have vinyl stickers, which are just ready to be shipped and go out the door. And I also have a pre-order for t-shirts. So I'm going to be placing a big batch order the first week of August. So if you missed out last time, make sure you get one this time because I am probably not going to place another order until I'm going to say probably the first week of October. I was going to say the first week of November to get them in time for the holidays, but 
if you've been around here for a while, you know that Halloween is the holiday. So I will do a batch order the first week of October in order to get you these shirts before Halloween. But if you want to get them before that, make sure you place an order before August, I don't know, August 1st through the 6th. And then I'll place that order on the 6th. Okay. And do you also have a patron program? I will link it in the show notes just because it is very lengthy the way that I have to explain it. But to keep it real brief, I have three tiers, a one, a three, a $5 tier. Each and every tier has its own perks and benefits. However, if you are donating one, three, or $5 monthly, you will get one bonus episode per month. And this month, the month of July, you will be getting two to make up for June. Because you know I'm not going to leave it hanging. If I don't, if I miss one month, I'm going to give you two the next month, Okay. Also, make sure you're staying current with episodes because, believe it or not, my three-year podcast anniversary is coming up next week, and then my birthday is fast approaching as well, and you know that I love to spoil you guys. So there are going to be giveaways galore coming up, and you're not going to want to miss out. All right, I think that's probably enough housekeeping for one day. Let's get down to the real reason you came here. The true crime, the mystery, the intrigue. Uh, Before we get to our case today, though, I do want to talk about a couple of current events that are happening, some true crime current events. Um, I just kind of want to incorporate them a little bit more in our intros, just because as much as I love to talk about cold cases, it's really important to talk about cases that are happening in the here and now. Uh, for starters, did you all know that Ed Kemper is up for parole this month? (laughs) I mean, I knew at some point he was going to be up for parole, but I just, I guess I just didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. Um, and honestly, if I'm being real with you, I think that there's a 50-50 chance that he may get out on parole because, yes, his crimes were many and they were horrific um, and tragic. But by all that I've been reading over the last few years, Ed Kemper is a favorite among prison staff. He has so many perks, um, including the fact that, did you know that Ed Kemper voices, like reads for Audible? books. So yeah, that's a perk that I don't think a lot of prisoners get that they can read audible books for people's listening pleasure. Okay. So I think that there is definitely a possibility that he may, um, be referred to as rehabilitated to the parole board. So we're just going to have to cross our fingers and hope that the parole board makes the right choice. But honestly, if I'm being real with you, I think it's a 50, 50 as of right now. Um, but he is up for parole sometime in July. We are just in the first week of July, so we still got another few weeks to learn how this is going to develop. But, you know, I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. You probably won't find out about it here because I guarantee you if he is released, it's going to be plastered all over the news. But that is not going to prevent me from talking about it if that does, in fact, happen. Um, another thing that I wanted to bring to your guys' attention, if you guys haven't heard about this case, is apparently in Austin, Texas, there is a lake called Ladybird Lake. And since February, there have been five men between the ages of 21 and 35 who have been found in the lake. Um, their toxicology reports reported that they had very small, you know, trace amounts of alcohol in their systems at the time of their death. Some more than others, for sure. 
Um, but when a local bartender in the area was interviewed, he said that, you know, kind of the big bar scene in that area of Austin is about a 10 block walk from the lake. And I mean, do I think it's possible that someone, you know, became inebriated and walked 10 blocks and stumbled into a lake and drowned? Sure. That's definitely possible. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. However, five in the last, I don't know, February, like four months? I don't know. That seems very coincidental. Um, So it is the conjecture of the locals, and I am very specific when I, intentional when I use the word locals, because the police are under the guise that, you know what, everyone, just chill out. Don't worry about it. We're taking care of it. We have seen no connection. No. Serial killer? No. So anyways, it's the local residents who believe that there may be a serial killer who is killing men in the area in groups of five because apparently in 2014, this has happened before. Five men between the ages of 21 and 35 in the year 2014 were also all found in the lake with trace amounts of alcohol in their system. So this could be a pattern. Maybe there is some sort of anniversary that triggers someone to kill men in groups of five. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm definitely going to keep my eye out on it. Just kind of update you guys if developments come along. But if you haven't heard about this case, I would definitely recommend going on your Goog account. Go do some Googing and uh, just type in Lady Bird Lake, Austin, Texas, serial killer and you'll you'll find it (laughs) you'll find it there's no doubt about that okay so the case that we're going to discuss today the the case of chris kremers and leanne Froon, it is fascinating because it has so many potential answers so many possible explanations but for whatever reason these explanations that we're going to talk about today they just do not satisfy me i feel like there is more to it than this Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see what you all make of it. So if you have an idea at the end of the podcast episode and you want to share that idea with me, if you want to share it with the class, if you want to kind of do a little bit of banter, go ahead on my Instagram post that I'm going to make about it today and just kind of share your ideas. Or if you're shy, which I know a lot of you are, uh, that's totally cool. Shoot me a DM. Some of you are already doing that and you share with me your ideas and your thoughts and your opinions. And I absolutely love chatting with you guys throughout the week. It just inspires me and it just gets me excited that you guys are about as passionate as me about all of these cold cases. All right. So we're just going to deep dive in because I know that it's been a long time since I've seen you and I don't want to waste any more time. Um, So let's just get in on into it. Okay. In 2014, Chris Kremers and Leanne Froon were college students living in Amersfoort, Netherlands. Amersfoort is about a 40-minute drive from Amsterdam. The two women worked together and also lived in the same housing unit. Leanne was tall, she was athletic, and she had just graduated from college in applied psychology. Woohoo! Psychology twin. I actually went to school for abnormal psychology, so we we're psych buddies. Uh, Leanne was smart, she was shy, and she really loved Coldplay. Chris was short. She was really super outgoing. Uh, she had flaming red hair, which was honestly more orange than red, and she 
was probably feisty, I'm guessing, if I have to speak from personal experience. Um, And Chris, she had just graduated from school too, but she had studied cultural sociology. And you guys, I actually took an anthropology and sociology class in college And it was probably one of my favorite and most fascinating classes that I ever took. I don't know if it was the teacher that I had. My teacher, my professor was incredibly amazing. She had done all of these like in-person hands-on experiences and just really brought that into the lectures. But it was very fascinating. I love learning about different cultures and I don't know, fascinating. Okay, so after six months of saving and planning, the two women decided that they wanted to take a trip to celebrate their graduation. And why not? Because school is a big deal. When you graduate, I mean, you have had to give up so many things, parties, holidays, you're working nonstop. So yeah, they deserve to celebrate themselves. But they were having a hard time deciding where in the world they would go. Eventually, the two decided on Panama. Their trip would be part recreation, part service um, in order to subsidize the costs. So they planned to work with an educational youth program teaching arts and crafts to local children. And then on their time off, they would do all sorts of outdoorsy things because they were really on this like adventure kick. They were also looking super forward to learning a little bit of Spanish because they knew English, they knew Dutch, and they wanted to add a third language to their repertoire, which good Anya, I can barely speak one language. Uh, so they, they head off on their grand adventure. Um, for the first two weeks, they go to a place called Boca del Toro, which means mouth of the bowl. Hey, see, I know a little bit of Spanish. <laughs> uh, they meet up with some other Dutch tourists. These are two men and they don't know these men before the trip. They just kind of met up with them and spent a lot of time with them on the beach Um, Going to dinner, going to lunch, going dancing, going to the bars, I assume. Um, But I mean, they didn't know them, but I assume that there's probably some like unity in, you know, touring a different country, the unfamiliarity of it all. And just to have kind of that familiarity of, oh, hey, these are two Dutch guys. They speak our language. We're two women. Maybe we can get them to hang out with us and then we'll feel a little bit more safe. Um, so for all intents and purposes, it seems like they were fine. The, the young men seemed like they were gentlemen. They didn't seem creepy or anything. And I believe it because I was just in the Netherlands and all the people who I encountered who like they were born and bred in the Netherlands, super trustworthy, super sweet, super kind. And they're living in a big city. I feel like big cities change people, but not the Dutch guys in the Netherlands. They are very, very nice. Okay. They then travel, and when I say then, I'm just talking about the two women, not the two men. They then travel to Boquette, where they are stationed to teach the children at the youth program. But on their first day, they show up and they're told that, you know, the program actually has an influx of volunteers this week, and they're actually probably not going to need the girls for another week. Now, the ladies are feeling kind of bummed because they are like me, and they are meticulous planners. They had this trip planned in and out, backwards, forwards, and this news just kind of throws a wrench in the plan. Um, But they were determined to make the most. They were going to pivot. I mean, they were on the trip of a lifetime after all, right? Okay, so they're staying with this family in Alto Bouquet. 
Uh, and they're going to stay with them for four weeks. And their host mother seems like the sweetest lady in the world. And she said that the girls were pretty restless and a little bit disappointed that they couldn't start at the youth program. So the next morning, the girls went out and wandered the city just to get a feel for it. And they were also on the hunt for, you know, some friggin' activities to do in order to kill time to make the next seven days go by a little bit quicker. Um, So the women came home from their day of sightseeing with a buttload of brochures and tons of ideas on how they could explore the city for the next week. The host mother states that while on their day exploring, they shared with the host mother that they came across this male tour guide. And this male tour guide offered guided tours on some of the most famous and incredible hikes in the area. One such hike was one where the girls would meet at Trail Pianista And they would hike to his ranch, then they would stay the night at his ranch, and then in the morning they would hike back down. Mm. So, I know what y'all are thinking if you've been here for a while. That sounds sketchy AF. And if you don't think that sounds sketchy, you're one, either new around here, or two, you're a dude. (laughs) Yes, I feel like dudes don't think the way that women do. Uh, The girls rightfully so, declined the offer from this male tour guide, but they did schedule to have him lead them on the hike. Um, They were going to meet up with him at the trailhead to hike Pianista, but they did not want to stay the night at his house, and I do not blame them. Um, But I'm still like, ladies, 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 if you want to hike that trail and you feel like you need a tour guide, maybe let's think about finding a different tour guide one that's not actively trying to get you to stay at his place in the wilderness. (laughs) So they make this appointment with the tour guide for two days from then. And I don't really know. Maybe they were never planning on meeting this guy. Maybe they were just kind of like trying to brush him off and just be like, oh yeah, sure. We'll go on a hike with you in two days just so that he would kind of leave him alone. But we, we never really find out. Okay. So the next day, April 1st, the girls are supposed to meet the tour guide on April 2nd. But on April 1st, they wake up And they decide that they are going to go to hike the Pianista Trail without him. Um, They just want to do it themselves. They don't want a guide. Uh, This trail is super famous. It goes through the jungle and it passes through waterfalls and it ends with this like gorgeous peak view. One inconsistency about the hike, um, and it's not a huge inconsistency, but I figured I would bring it up anyways. Um, Apparently, the girls took a dog with them on the hike, Um, but some of the sources that I read say that the dog belonged to the host family that they were staying with, and other sources say that the dog belonged to a restaurant owner. Um, The girls had gone out to breakfast that day, um, and so it's possible that they saw the dog and they were like, hey, love your dog. Would you mind if we took your dog on a hike? And the restaurant owner was like, yeah, sure. Just bring him back. Um, but yeah, it's unclear whether it belonged to a restaurant owner or those family. Other than the dog, the girls brought with them a backpack, a passport, one water bottle, both of their cell phones, and one digital camera, which I can already hear my husband's nagging voice in my head being like, that's not enough water. That's not enough water. Why do they only bring one water bottle? That's not enough water. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. It's not a lot of water. Um, I don't know if that's because these girls didn't know any better. I don't know if they 
we're not, you know, avid hikers or anything like that. Or, and maybe they just thought that it would be enough for the whole hike. Or maybe they thought bringing one water bottle would be plenty because they weren't planning on hiking the entire trail. They were just going to hike the beginning part of the trail. And this makes sense when you know that the hike is actually split into three sections. I call kind of call them checkpoints. So you can hike up to this first checkpoint, um, which has a lovely view of the city, and you can go back or you can continue to the next checkpoint, which goes through the jungle. So if they were just planning at the beginning to go to the first checkpoint, which is only a 45 minute walk, then maybe uh, one bottle of water would suffice. Um, Before the girls started their hike, they instant messaged Chris's boyfriend on Facebook and just kind of, you know, touched base and told him of their plans that day. And it wasn't until later that night that suspicions about the women's whereabouts kind of came into question um, because the dog returned to its home, wherever its home is. I don't freaking know. It doesn't clarify in the articles Um, but it came home and it came home without Chris and Leanne Um, the women their host family was worried when the girls did not return for dinner that night but keep in mind like these are not high school foreign exchange students these are adult women they are college graduates for all the host family knows like these ladies decided to go on a hike and then, I don't know, maybe they went to the bar or went dancing for the night or, you know, who knows? they can live their own life. They're grownups. Uh, but when the host family woke up the next morning and the girls still weren't there and then that creepy tour guide showed up to the host family's home. And remember, he was supposed to meet them at the trailhead. So I don't know why he had their home address, but he went to the host family's home and just said like, hey, they didn't meet me for my appointment. So I decided to come to your house. Anyways, they still weren't home. And this kind of freaked out the host family. Later that day, authorities and the girls' families were contacted. Three days after the women went missing, authorities finally searched the forest where the girls were last known to be. That's over 72 hours. Um, seems like they waited a little too long in my opinion, but that's just my two cents and the Panama Police Department doesn't care about my two cents and you learn it doesn't care about a lot of other people's two cents either. Uh, when the ladies' parents could tell that the case was not really being taken seriously and it was now April 6th, the girls' parents hopped on a plane and they didn't come empty handed. No, no, no. They brought two Netherlands detectives with them. And they got themselves down to Panama. Um, apparently, it's pretty well known. I didn't know this. But it's pretty well known that the Panama Police Department doesn't play nicely with others. <laughs> uh, they're not really known for their bedside manner. They do not like sharing. They're kind of like toddlers. Uh, so this is why the parents decided to bring in their own detectives from the Netherlands. The parents and the investigators searched that jungle for 10 days straight. Uh, They offered a $30,000 reward for any information that could aid them in their search of the two women. But after 16 days, there was no sign of the girls or any clues of any kind to indicate where they may be or what happened to them. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and still nothing. Nada. Can you imagine? Can you imagine one morning you wake up 
and you have a message from your daughter, your friend, your girlfriend, your cousin, whatever, and they message you and tell you, oh, hey, by the way, I'm going on a hike, just wanted to let you know where I am, and then you just never hear from them again? I cannot imagine. That's terrifying. And then you add in that foreign country component where you you can't just hop in your car and go look for yourself, but you have to like wait and wait and get a plane and all these things. And then the police department's not cooperating. That sounds incredibly frustrating. Okay, so it wasn't until 10 weeks later when a local tribal woman found Leanne's backpack on a rice paddy in a river. And this rice paddy was not close. It was actually a 14-hour walking distance to where the girls had originally began their hike. So, hmm, I understand getting lost, okay? But to get lost and then... (laughs) wander from your original destination for 14 hours that seems a little suspicious other than the obvious distance the next thing that made everyone very like was the fact that the backpack was completely dry with no sign of any water damage the backpack was intact and honestly it looked like it had just been gently placed on that rice paddy The whole thing seemed very, very staged. And you have to take into account that this is a jungle. It's lush. It had been raining on and off for the 10 weeks that the girls had been missing. And this backpack, you want me to believe that it just floated down a river for 72 days. Because that's how long these women had been missing at this point. There is no way that this backpack would have been as clean and pristine as it was when it was found, unless it had been handled by a third party, in my personal opinion. Also, the woman who found the backpack said that the backpack had absolutely not been there the day before because she claims that she had been there the day before gathering rice and that she would have definitely noticed it. And I believe this woman because this woman lived out in the middle of nowhere. She doesn't have all the like, like I feel like this would stand out. A backpack. So I think that if she noticed it that day, she would have definitely noticed it the day before if it had been there. When police got there, they opened the bag and everything inside of the bag was intact and working. And remember, there's cell phones, there's digital cameras in here. The bag was not waterproofed. It was not lined. So for all intents and purposes, if this bag had really been out in the elements for 10 weeks, those items should have been ruined. Um, The girls' bras and socks uh, were neatly folded and placed inside at the top of the backpack. And that's no bueno, okay? Because, like I said, why would it be all nice and dry in there? It's not waterlined. It's not waterproofed. And you expect us to think that that this bag floated down the river 14-hour walking distance away and it's just perfectly fine in there? I don't know. Okay, so while the two girls' cell phones, the digital camera, an empty water bottle, Leanne's passport, and Chris's medical card were found in the bag, do you want to know what, what wasn't found in the bag? There were no wallets, no money, and no keys to the host family home, which the host mother said she's missing a set of keys. Because she gave those women a set of keys so that they could come in and out freely. So they should have been in the bag. 
Uh, they also discovered that there were 34 fingerprints found on the backpack, 13 on the girls' phones, and six on the bras. These leads were never investigated by the Panama Police Department, and they refused to hand any of their information or evidence over to the Dutch authorities. All right, so the first thing I want to discuss is these bras. Okay, I get it. Bras suck. They are literally an accepted form of torture. But I don't know if I was lost in the jungle for 10 weeks, if taking off my bra and neatly folding it in a backpack would be of my utmost top priority. (laughs) Uh, This leads me personally to believe that they probably weren't the ones who took them off and folded them in the backpack. And this just makes like a whole bunch of like real morbid and scary scenarios popping in my head. Is it popping in your head too? Probably. Okay, so let's talk about the evidence that was found other than the bras. Um, Cell phones. All right. On the day the girls went missing, April 1st, just hours into the hike at around 4.40 p.m., a call is attempted to 112. And I was just in the Netherlands, and I know that 112 is their emergency phone number. Ten minutes later, another phone call to the same number was attempted. The calls never go through, and not because of the distance that the girls were from the Netherlands. So apparently the emergency number in Panama is 911, just like it is here in the good old U.S. of A. But if the girls had called 112 and the call would have actually gone through, which it unfortunately didn't, when the girls called 112, it would have just redirected to 911. So the women did actually try calling 911 as well, and those calls didn't go through because they didn't have any service. And then on April 1st, the girls' phones are shut off. And mind you, this is during the day. This is 4.40 p.m. 14 hours later, the phones are turned back on, and even more calls to emergency lines are attempted. Um, so they kind of went back and forth calling 112 and 911. 112 and 911. Uh, Wednesday, the next day, emergency calls are attempted at 6.58 a.m., 8.14 a.m., 10.53 a.m., and 1.56 p.m., and both girls are trying to call from both of their phones. During the attempt on Wednesday, the 6.58 a.m. call, Leanne's phone actually does connect to 112, but... The call drops after only two seconds because, like I said, the service wasn't great there. And then, after this happens, the phones are shut off again. By day five, one of the phones dies. And it's unclear if it was Chris's or Leanne's that dies. But one of the phones dies. Um, After that phone dies, the other phone is turned on. However, an incorrect PIN code keeps being attempted. Uh, leading investigators to believe that the owner of the phone was not the one attempting to get into the phone. Now, that's eerie because it could just be that Leanne or Chris didn't know each other's PIN code, but I feel like that's a pretty vital piece of information. Like, if I was stranded in the jungle with one of my friends, probably one of my very first questions was, would be, girl, tell me your PIN code in case you, like, pass out or something and I need to get into your phone. Um, But it's also possible that maybe a nefarious character was trying to get in. Also, if someone is attempting incorrect PIN codes, what does this mean about what has happened to the phone's original owner? Like, why couldn't 
Chris or Leanne turn to their friend and be like, hey girl, what's your pin code? Chris's iPhone was in use on and off until April 11th. So Leanne couldn't get in, but she's still trying to call 911, maybe, or it's some creepy person. Uh, because you know how you can do that? Like if you try to shut your phone off, you can either slide to turn your phone off or there's like a little red button that says like, would you like to place an emergency call? And you can push that button and it will connect to the emergency line. So apparently that was being done over and over again. So day 11, let that set in. These girls got lost on April 1st. It's now April 11th. The phone was turned on at 1051 stayed on until 11.51, and then was switched off for the final time. All in all, 77 emergency calls were made from April 1st to April 11th, with only one going through for a total of two seconds. Next up is the digital camera, which still had battery life when it was found. The memory card had 133 photos on it starting on April 1st. So the first one of these 133 photos that we're going to be talking about today was, like I said, taken on April 1st, and it was a picture the women had taken of themselves at the trailhead of Trail Pianista. Uh, In the picture, the girls seem happy. There doesn't seem to be any bad weather. They don't seem to be any stress or duress. Um, Yeah, they seem, for all intents and purposes, just happy, excited to go on this adventure, Um, But yeah, let's learn a little bit more about this hike. Okay, so remember I told you that this hike is kind of split into three sections. So in the first section, you are in sort of a grassy pasture and you're walking through this for about 45 minutes. And while you're in that section, you can see really cool views of the city. Um, Then you get to that lookout point where you can take pictures. And then the second section is dense jungle. Um, think like Jumanji. (laughs) You would walk in this dense jungle for about an hour before you got to kind of like this cloudy area. And because Panama is so humid, it's super cool because you literally feel like you're walking through the clouds for about 30 minutes. And then after that 30 minutes, you kind of enter this last section and you're climbing the mountain and then you finally get to the peak. Um, At 1 p.m., the girls take that very first picture um, at the lookout point. And most tourists, most hikers get to this point. They take pictures, they eat lunch, and then they turn around. Because there are apparently signs everywhere stating that this next section, if you were to go into the dense jungle, it's like, it's not for the amateur, okay? Uh, Most amateur hikers can hack it. You have to kind of be more of an experienced hiker. The last photos of the hike show that the girls do, in fact, go into that lush jungle area and they cross over to the other side of the mountain and this is when they lose cell service. And it isn't too far after this that the first emergency calls are attempted. The next photos on the camera are not taken until April 8th in the very, very early morning. Okay, so of these 133 photos, you know how when you used to have like an old digital camera and you'd hook it up to the computer, it would give every image a name? So up to image 508, we are happy. We are in the field. We are frolicking. We are at lookout points. 
and then their phone or then their camera is turned off for eight days. And then on April 8th, image 510 is taken. And this is a huge mystery in this case. Where and what is image 509? Where did it go? What were the contents of the picture? Why was image 509 deleted? Did the girls do it? Did the Panama authorities do it? Did some gang lords do it? Did whoever harmed these girls do it? Also, what's interesting to me, and not very many articles go into this, but these girls have been taking so many photos up to this point. You have to remember, this is 2014, and these are 20-ish-year-old women. They have been taking so many pictures of their trip. How come there is an eight-day period of no pictures, no video? Manual deletion of a picture on a camera, as many of you know, doesn't actually mean that it's gone. IT experts from all over the world have agreed that in order to permanently delete a photo in such a way that it could never ever be recovered would mean that the camera would have had to have been plugged into a computer and manually deleted off of there. You can't just be like, oh, I don't like the way that my face looks and just delete it on your phone and you never see it again. You can find it. But if you go on a computer and you delete it, it's it's gone. Um, and as far as I know, I mean, I've never been to pa- Panama, but um, there's not too many computers in the jungle. So I don't think that the girls did this. Uh, so what was in that image? What was so damning that someone just had to be sure that they got rid of it so that no one ever saw it? Was it evidence of what happened? Was it a picture of someone who was harmed? Was it a picture of the person who harmed them? The next set of photos taken after April 8th are taken between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. So all of these are taken in the dead of night. The pictures are black with the flash on. And you can tell that you're in the middle of the jungle. Um, but we don't know if they were taken in the jungle in that sec- second section of the hike or... Were they maybe closer to where the rice paddy backpack was found? We don't know. We just know that they're in the jungle. And another thing that we don't know is that the girls' faces never show up in any of these pictures. All in all, 90 darkish pictures are taken, which would equate to one picture every two minutes in that 1 to 4 a.m. time period. And these pictures, while they don't really project or show anything creepy, they are still very eerie because most of these pictures are just like a bush, trees, dirt, a rock. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the pictures that were taken and I will try and post them as well on my Instagram page. Um, One was a rock and on top of this rock was pieces of red plastic bag tied to branches. Another photo, which is rumored to be fake, but I figured I'd include it anyways, is possibly a photo of the back of Chris's head. We have to assume that it's the back of Chris's head because it's just like this cropped, like super cropped. All you can see is hair, but you can see that the hair is like flaming orange. So that's why a lot of people think that it's Chris's. Um, There have been a lot of doctored photographs of this photo with like blood and stuff so that's why I'm kind of like tentative to believe the validity of this photo just because it has been doctored in photoshop so many times so I don't know what's the real photo and what is a doctored one but I'll try and find one of the pictures regardless 
another image, um, there's some paper on a rock and then there's like this reflective object, which when I'm looking at it, it could be maybe like one of those circle compact mirrors. And then you can vaguely see like the strap of some sort of backpack is what I can assume. Um, some people think that the girls were using the flash of their camera maybe as a way to see in the night. Uh, maybe they heard something and they were trying to like see what it was, which would totally make sense. But what doesn't make sense to me is how come they decided to do this on April 8th, day eight of being lost and not on night one? Because I think I would think that by day eight, you're probably a little bit more used to the various sounds and creepiness of the jungle but not on night one no on night one I'd be like what was that oh my gosh what was that oh my gosh but not probably not on day eight I think that I would like acclimate pretty quickly and just be like Robin Williams from Jumanji so it just kind of makes no sense that they would just not use the camera for eight days for light and then all of a sudden use the camera for light um another theory is that maybe Chris um, got hurt. And so the, for the first seven nights, maybe Leanne was just kind of like focusing all of her time on just like making sure that Chris was okay. And then for whatever reason, maybe things took a turn with Chris and Leanne knew like, Hey, I need to find help because we've been waiting for help to find us. And now we need to find it. And perhaps that's why on night eight, she leaves in order to find help and she's either taking pictures of her surroundings in order to see where she's going or maybe she's taking pictures to document how to get back to her friend in case she does end up finding help. She can be like, okay, I left this stuff on this rock so that will show me where I need to go. I don't really know. These are the things that people are just kind of brainstorming. Um, Another theory is that they were using the flash to maybe signal for help. Maybe on day eight, they like heard some commotion. Maybe they saw some car lights. Maybe they could hear some people talking and they woke up in the middle of the night and heard this and they were like, oh my gosh, this is our chance. This is our only chance for help. And maybe they were using the flash of their camera as sort of like a flare gun effect to like catch whoever was out in the jungle's attention and bring them to them. Um, investigators continue to look for the girls in the area of the backpack with the help of the local tribe. And for, from what I can read in all the articles, the local tribe was very, very helpful, um, really wanted to help the police department, you know, locate any signs of these girls. And they did end up finding something of the girls, but it's not what people were hoping for. Um, on June 19th, 2014, remember these girls went missing on April 1st. 2014, um, human remains are unfortunately found, along with jean shorts and two different shoes by the river. And another weird thing, these shorts that were found were off of the body and neatly folded on a nearby rock. Again, I don't really think that'd be my top priority if I was like, it's now. I'm going to perish to the elements. I'm going to succumb to the wilderness. But before I do, let me take off my shorts and neatly fold them and place them on this rock. Don't think that'd be my top priority. Um, so the bones were found an hour's walk dif- distance from the backpack. So still not close to this backpack. Uh, DNA proved that the bones did in fact belong to Chris Kremers and Leanne Froon. Okay, so 
told you that they found some neatly folded shorts and that they also found shoes. But it wasn't just shoes, guys. There was a boot. And it wasn't just a boot, guys. Inside that boot was a sock. And it wasn't just a sock, guys, because inside that sock was a human foot with bone, muscle, and flesh still intact. Yikes. Uh, This foot was later confirmed to be Leanne's foot. Um, And at first I was like, oh my gosh, it's barbaric. Somebody cut off her foot or maybe an animal like has taken this foot off. But you have to remember that we are in a dense, humid jungle and humidity and heat is going to greatly speed up the rate of decomposition on a human body. And the ankle bone is actually not secured to your skeleton the way that you think it should like it can deteriorate quite easily especially under these accelerated conditions of decomposition that it actually is quite common that a human foot will detach from the skeleton and it actually happens in cold climates as well just not as quickly as this um, some sources claim that the bones were bleached. Now, they don't really go into it in the articles that I read, whether this means that the bones were like bleached by the sun or if they had like literally been bleached in a bleaching chemical agent. I think that that's pretty important because one is just like, oh, this happened naturally. And two is like third party. Somebody was bleaching these bones. I think that's a huge thing. I wish that I knew the answer, but I don't. Um, A lot of people think that the bodies of the women may have been altered by a third party and later placed there because the bones seemed a little bit staged in their placement. All right, so we don't know what happened to Leanne Froon and Chris Kremers. We may never know, but as many of you may have thought, possibly throughout my retelling of this tale, that it's possible Chris and Leanne, you know, Maybe they met some nefarious characters. Maybe they stumbled across something that they shouldn't have seen. Maybe the first, maybe they found aid in like some untrustworthy people who made their misfortune of, oh, we got a little bit turned around, um, go from like, oh, this is concerning to this is a living nightmare. This is horrible. Um, A lot of people who investigate this case, you know, they have brought up the fact that there are a lot of drug cartels in this area and maybe they stumbled in on a drug deal and then the cartel felt like they needed to eliminate them. I, I don't know. But I'm super curious to hear your thoughts and learn more about what you make of this case. And don't you dare for a second think that I forgot about that creepy male tour guide because he totally could be involved. Uh, Leanne and Chris's parents are, um, they have gone through this trail like so many times over the years. I'm assuming like they spend every, you know, couple vacations going and seeing if they can find anything that may reveal, you know, what happened to them. One thing that I find really interesting is that these are girls, I mean, they're not girls. I keep saying girls, but these are women who had a camera, they had phones, and I don't know, for me, I feel like at some point, as I'm missing, I think that like my brain, it obviously wouldn't want to go here, but I think at some point I would maybe entertain the fact that, you know, maybe I'm not going to make it through this. And I think that I would, I think that I would have the foresight to, you know, make a little video explaining what happened in case 
my remains are ever found. Um, and I think that that's pretty, I mean, I don't know. I feel like all of us would probably do that. And we'd just be like, hi, my name is so-and-so. Um, in case I don't make it out of this, this is what has happened. And here are some messages from my loved ones. But there isn't any of that on the phone or on the camera, which I just kind of found interesting because I feel like that's something that would happen in 2014. I mean, it was only nine years ago. Um, another thing that's interesting is that Chris's dad, he goes down to Panama a lot. And in one of the interviews I read, he said that he has walked this hike so many times. And he says that there's not really any section that he has seen that he's been like, oh, okay, okay, they probably got turned around here. Or he has never passed a section where he's like, oh, now that's a steep drop off. I bet you somebody dropped off here and then, you know, things unfurled. Chris's dad said it's a pretty straightforward hike. It's definitive trail all the way down. Um, he is actually quoted as saying, you would have to be actively seeking to get lost on this trail. So, again, it just makes no sense. I've never been on this trail, but I'm going to take Chris's dad's word for it, that there really is no spot on this trail that you'd be like, oh yeah, you could get hurt there. Or, oh yeah, this is a little tricky. You could get turned around here and then walk 14 hours away from the trail's origin. Um... The cause of death for both of the women was never determined. Uh, the case was originally deemed a homicide at the very beginning, but the Panama Police Department has now just labeled it an accident, um, but they still haven't given a reason for the accident. Um, the Panama Police Department, this is their conjecture, they believe that the girls got lost. They think at some point Chris was injured. Uh, they believe that Leanne tended to her friend for quite some time, and then maybe Chris either became unconscious or maybe she passed away. Um, and then when one phone died and Leanne knew that, you know, she was out here on her own and she needed to find help that at some point she separated from Chris in order to get help, but she failed and then returned to her friend where they later just kind of like succumbed to the elements. Um, also, we can't forget that they were lost for a long time. So is it possible that they perished from the elements? Sure. But what I don't think happened is I don't think that right before perishing from the elements, someone took off their clothes and neatly folded them and placed them on a rock. I do not think that that happened. Nope, nope, nope. Also, how did that dog get home? How did that dog get home? And that's why I wish that we knew who the dog belonged to. Because if the dog belonged to a restaurant owner who, you know, was located very close to the trailhead, then that would make sense to me. I'd be like, okay, cool. So the dog has probably gone on this hike before and he knows how to get home. But if it was the host family, the host family lived pretty far away from this hike. So, I mean, not a super long distance, but pretty long for a dog, I would say. And the only thing that I keep going back to is the creepy tour guide. He obviously knew where the girls lived or were living for the time being because he went to the host family's house. So is it possible that he brought the dog back, released the dog back to their home, and then a few hours later was like, oh, well, it's just so strange that they never met me. We had an appointment. Hmm. I don't know. I just... I. 
we read a lot about people who are involved in crimes and interjecting themselves in the case so that they can feel special or just kind of know what's going on. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I feel like knowing who the dog belonged to would help me in my uh, working out of this. Um, if the girls were kidnapped, why did the captors let them keep their phones and keep their cameras? Um, and I've already mentioned, like, how come the girls didn't make a video explaining what was happening to them? How come in all of those 133 photos, like, the girls' faces are never shown? Um, and some people think that maybe the photos and the emergency calls might have been a ruse. Like, a lot of people think that maybe the women were already dead when these pictures and phone calls were being taken and taking place. And that the person who harmed them, <coughs> Turguide, or cartel, I don't know, <laughs> uh, just wanted them to make it seem like they were alive so that they would um, kind of throw off the investigation and, and make it seem like they were alive a lot longer than they actually were. Okay, if you have any theories, let me know on my Instagram. Send me a DM. If you've heard of this case before and you're like, Rochelle, you're missing something, you're missing a huge something, let me know. Um, because I have literally been racking my brain because, I don't know, part of me is like homicide, homicide all the way. But then I'm also like, weirder accidents have happened. I don't know. Ugh, but I don't know. You let me know what you think because I think if there were any case that I would want to know the answer to, maybe this is one of them because I feel like it could literally go both ways. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. It has been so much fun to be back here with all of you again. It's seriously this little walk-in closet slash office of mine feels like home. I love talking true crime with you guys. Um, would you like to support this podcast? Of course you would. Um, follow me on Instagram at mysteriesstillunsolved. Visit my site, www.mysteriesstillunsolved.com. Join the patron program. I'll be sure to list that in the show notes in case you're interested in about joining. Um, tell a true crime-loving friend or family member about me. But don't feel the need to limit your recommendations to just family and friends. No, no, no. Tell the lifeguard at your community pool. Tell the toll booth lady. Her job is probably so boring that if you struck up a conversation and let them know about Mystery Still Unsolved, you just spice up her day, okay? Um, you can tell your ticket agent at the airport. You definitely won't show up on some sort of travel ban list. Maybe. I can't guarantee that, but probably not. Um, you could tell a local tour guide. Was that too soon? Was that in poor taste? Should I take that out? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. It's probably too soon. Anyways, I'm not going to take it out. I'm not going to take it out. You guys can You guys can handle it. You guys are brave and strong. Um, I literally just want everyone to know about Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, but the best way to support this podcast is and will always be to join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed, or is the mystery still unsolved? <laughs>